Well, good morning again. Man, I love that the King of Heaven came. He's coming again. What a blessing. Take your Bibles and turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. We've been talking about why Jesus came. We've just been talking about why he came. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go, well, we know he came to save us from our sins, and that's true. But there's, there's so much to Christ, and there's so much that he's done. And quite honestly, we, we should be so thankful. I mean, we, we think about Jesus sometimes like a ticket to heaven. And it's true, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to have eternal life. There's so much more to that. I mean, John 17, 3 tells us that eternal life is a relationship, a relationship. It's a person that we have a relationship with. But Jesus, like Bob shared, is the life changer. He's, he's the life changer. He changes our lives, changes my life, changes your life. But he's, he's even more than that. He's the world changer. No one has had more impact on the world than Jesus Christ. And nobody's going to have more impact on the world than Jesus Christ. And we've talked the last few weeks about Jesus. The reason he came, he came to defeat the works of the devil. Isaiah mentioned that. And quite honestly, even that alone, just knowing the force that Christ has against the evil that works in this world to overcome it and subdue it is, is an incredible thought that we ought to be considering and praying and thanking God for. We talked about Jesus coming to bless all the families of the earth, the promise that God made to Abraham that through his seed, God would bless all the families of the earth. And there's, there's only one. There's only one that could do that. As much as you try, as much as people with great influence try to influence every part of the world, nobody, nobody influences every family from history till now. Only Christ Jesus, powerful Savior that we have. And the last week we talked about Jesus came to show that God is with us, Emmanuel. We talked about the fact that God asked Ahaz for a sign, or God told Ahaz to, to give a sign or ask for a sign, and Ahaz was too arrogant and rebellious to ask for a sign. And God said, I'll give you a sign that know, that, so that you can know that there's hope in the midst of this dark world. I'm going to send a son. The virgin will be with a child. He's going to be named Emmanuel, God with us. And our sign came some 2,000 years ago. It was born in a little town in Bethlehem in Israel that we might know that God is with us so that we have assurance, so that we have victory, so that we have deliverance, so that we have hope. So this morning I want to talk a little bit more about that hope from Isaiah chapter 9. It's kind of a continuation, if you will, of Isaiah's, Isaiah chapter 7. So read with me here in Isaiah chapter 9, beginning of verse 1. It says, but, but there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence. As with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior and the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and, and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful today. I am always humbled to hear and to see what you're doing in people's lives. 
grateful for Bob Aplanau, for his humble spirit, his gracious love, and his faithful following of you, his Lord and Savior. May we all continue to grow, to know you and trust you. May you help us, Lord, in our trials and our hurts. Those that are here this morning that are suffering, struggling, and toiling, I pray, Lord God, that you would minister deeply to them and save our souls, Lord God. Those who have never trusted Christ, I pray that today they would. And Lord, we want to rejoice and be thankful as well for all that you have done for us through Jesus, our Savior, for all the hope that we have that's in him. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd speak and that you'd encourage and that you'd transform us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we talked a little bit last week about how intense things were during this time. I mean, like I said, this is kind of a continuation of Isaiah's message to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, specifically the people of Judah, the southern kingdom. But I mean, things are in chaos. Uh, the world power Assyria is rising up at this time. And their, their goal is world domination. Their goal is to overthrow every kingdom that they can, every country that they can. They're systematically going through the world, beginning to just conquer people and destroy their kingdoms. And they would take the people of that nation, they would move them to a different nation, they would bring people from a different nation into where they had moved the people out of. And it was easier to control people that way because not only had you defeated them physically, politically, but now you've broken their spirits and taken them from their homeland and displaced them and, and now they don't fight very hard and things were intense. I mean, sometimes we think that our world is the only time it's ever been intense and the only time that evil has ever been rising up and it's just not true, right? It's just not true. But then we read from last week in chapter seven, how Israel had partnered with Aram and they were attacking Judah and coming to Jerusalem to overthrow it. They were even gonna put their own king in, in Judah and Jerusalem so that hopefully maybe they could combine the three countries and maybe stand against Assyria. And so the king of, of Judah was afraid and trembling and the people of Judah were afraid and trembling and God had sent Isaiah to say to the king, don't worry or be afraid told him to ask for that sign, he wouldn't do it. And it's, it's always just a little shocking to me. I mean, let's just be honest. Man, sometimes we talk to people about this living God that we know, this living God that we have seen change our lives, this living God that we have come to realize can and will do anything, even see us through the hard times like Bob talked about, even see us through our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and walk along and we share that with people and, and people are so arrogant. Any arrogant people here? Don't raise your hand. I mean, I know I'm not the only arrogant person on earth, but sometimes I'm still shocked that God would offer so much to us and we wouldn't, we wouldn't take it. And I've been kind of praying this week, praying the other day, you know, Isaiah says to Ahaz, ask any sign as high as the heavens or as deep as Sheol. And I was praying the other day, saying, Lord, what sign would be as high as the heavens? And what sign would be as deep as death? And as I was praying, I'm like, Lord, Man, the thing that I would think about the most was save our city. And I was like, is that as high as the heavens? Probably not. Why don't you save our state, Lord? You can do it. No, that's not as high as the heavens. Lord, why don't you save our nation? No. Lord, why don't you save our world? I mean, is God capable? Is he capable of doing more than we could ask or imagine? And the answer is yes, absolutely. And that's the incredible truth about Jesus Christ in the midst of this broken, devastated, dark, discouraging world. He's able to do more than we could ask or imagine. But I gotta be honest with you, when we begin to even look at this passage, I mean, we have to have some faith. You know, this, this nonsense that we call faith today, 
that doesn't trust God at any level and doesn't expect him to change our lives is not faith. It's not faith. You can call it what you want. I mean, I love people when they tell me, well, I'm of a different faith. Well, baloney, different faith. A faith that has what? I mean, here we come to this place where God tells Judah, and he's prophesying through Isaiah to Israel, you're going down. Assyria is going to come, and they're going to come quickly and destroy Israel, and they're going to come quickly and destroy Aram or Syria, and it won't be very long, about 150, 160 years, and Babylon's going to come and destroy Judah because you guys are sinful. You guys are rebellious. You guys are foolish. You guys are broken. You're not paying any attention to me. Your Lord, your creator, your God who would save you, you're not paying any attention to me. I mean, quite honestly, God is clear. I love to read the Bible because God shows us how he works in nations that reject him and the message that he has for them. By the way, the message that he has for the United States of America today as we rebel more and more and more against God is still judgment, in case you weren't sure. It's still judgment. He still judges nations. And you and I should wrestle a little bit instead of being ridiculous and blind. Like sometimes I look at these nations. My brother, I shared with you, my brother, pastor in Congo, me, writes me an email last week and says, Pastor, it's dangerous right now. He's Congolese. He's lived there his whole life. And he is a man of faith. He says they're going to have elections. And man, the, 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 the warlords are already raging. The Congolese government's already raging. The, the president's putting people in jail and killing people in the elections. The, 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 the army is raging across the Congolese con, or countryside. And man, if I had the money, I'd leave this country right now. And then you have to think, Lord, what, what's going on in Congo? Lord, there's injustice in Congo. There's nothing but injustice in Congo. Nothing but. I've never been there when there wasn't anything but injustice in Congo. If a police officer stops us in Congo, we're in trouble because he's going to cheat us or he's going to hurt us or he's going to arrest us. And so then you go, Lord, if I'm going to pray for Congo, what am I going to pray about? Get the right president. There is no right president to fix that wrong. What do we pray about in Congo? King of heaven, come down. King of heaven, save. Let my brothers who are in dangerous places stand for the name of Jesus because the hope of Congo is Christ. Right? I mean, Isaiah's saying God's bringing judgment. God's still bringing judgment today on countries because of their rejection and refusal to submit to God. He's Lord all, Lord of all, Lord everywhere. And even his children oftentimes don't believe that, respond to it. Anybody with me? It gets so bad. Look at verse 21 and 22 of chapter 8 before we get into our passage. It got so bad, it says, They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. They will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. That's what happens to nations that reject the Lord God Almighty. That's what happens. He brings judgment. Is he bringing judgment today in our nation? He is. Don't you think he's not? He is. 
But there will be no more gloom for her, her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What a, what a transformation. I mean, I want you to hear. Right? I mean, there is... There are serious consequences for those that refuse God and reject God and they end up with this brokenness. I mean, hard-pressed, famished, hungry, angry, cursing God and their king. You know anybody like that? I do. I know people that are angry today hard-pressed. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. And then it says, in earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulon and Naphtali with contempt. He's talking about God here. Right? He's talking about the fact that there was a time, Zebulon and Naphtali, the two tribes, kind of between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea, they were the first to be overthrown by Assyria. They were the first to be carried away by Assyria. They were the ones that probably suffered the most when the Assyrians came to destroy the northern kingdom. And he says God treated them with contempt because it was by God's hand. It was by God's hand. It says in chapter 7 or 8, I forget the exact verse, that God whistled for the fly from afar to come. And for the bee to come. God whistled at Assyria and said, come, bring judgment justly onto my people. And we all go, man, I don't want a God like that. You ever had anybody tell you that? I don't want a God like that. Well, all I can say is then you don't want justice. And you don't want righteousness. You don't want things to be fair. You don't want wrongs to be punished. You don't want justice. Is that what you're saying? You want all the evil to go unchecked in this world. Because that's who God is. He's just. And if you don't want that, God, all you get is injustice and nobody wants that. But you know what's amazing about God? Is in his justice, he's merciful. And in his justice, he is gracious. And in his justice, he is loving. Because he says, there will be no more gloom. There will be no more gloom. He's basically saying, I'm going to change the circumstances. You deserve judgment, it's true, but I am going to do something completely unexpected. And he says, he says later on, he'll make it glorious by way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. He says, what used to be dark and gloomy and despairing and angry and violent, man, I'm going to do something glorious there. I'm going to do something you couldn't expect there, and it's going to be in the Gentile or the Galilee of the Gentiles. And that's an interesting little phrase because God has been talking to Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah, God's people, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham, always thought they were the only ones. They always thought they were the only ones that were going to be saved. And now all of a sudden, Isaiah says, I'm going to make Galilee of the Gentiles glorious. Because guess what happened up in Galilee? They took all the Jews away and moved in foreigners. And then they began to intermingle. And it was a place where if you were a pure Jew down in Jerusalem, you scoffed at those half-breeds up there. They weren't really Jews anymore, right? They didn't really belong to God anymore. Except God says, I'm going to do something glorious even among the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And you and I ought to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, because that includes everybody on earth. Well, then he goes on a little further, and he begins to describe 
what this hope looks like. He says the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And when you begin to talk like that, the people who live in darkness, you begin to get a little bit personal as far as I'm concerned. Do you know anybody that lives in darkness? I bet you do, actually. It might even be you. It might even be you today. We've talked about this more times than I've ever wanted to, but statistically, Casper and Wyoming is one of the highest rates of suicide in the nation, if not the highest, right here. Our nice little town. The police officers that I work with as a chaplain, they see so many suicides that it doesn't even affect them anymore. And yet sometimes we sit here and convince ourselves that nobody lives in darkness in Casper. There's plenty of darkness in Casper. I mean, I've seen some things. So have you, haven't you? It's not just, it's not just the down and out that live in darkness. It's not just the, the homeless that live in darkness. There's darkness in some of the most wealthiest homes in our city and in our nation. Man, there were people in Judah that were living in darkness but he says they're going to see a great light. When you're surrounded with that darkness, this light's going to shine on them. This light that he's talking about is coming for all. He's not just coming for the good ones because there is no good ones. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not even one. There is no good ones. He's sending the light in a way that's going to shine into the darkness of sinful hearts, of discouraged hearts, of broken hearts, of needy hearts, of lonely hearts, of hearts that are filled with sin and shame, hearts that are broken, wondering if there's anything that's going to give them any joy in any way. God says, I'm going to do something glorious and those that live in darkness are going to see a great light. And the light's going to shine into their darkness. And he says, you shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. He begins to talk very clearly. God, you're going to multiply the nation. God, this nation that you brought judgment against, you're going to bring about their blessing, you're going to bring about their increase. He says, and you shall increase their gladness. God's going to do something to increase their gladness. I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that would love to have any kind of gladness in their life at all. Man, we are, we are some of the biggest hypocrites in the world as Americans. Because, man, we have so much. We are filthy, stinking rich and I know some of you want to argue with me about that. That's fine. But you're wrong. We got a blessed family sitting down here, the Schaefers. I was pretty exactly where you are. Indonesia, Papua, somewhere in there. I don't even know where in there is. It's over there somewhere. They serve as missionaries. You should come find them after church and find out if you've got more than the people they serve have. You should come with Pastor Max and I when we go to Lubumbashi, Congo. I've told you this so many times where my brothers don't eat every day. They don't eat every day. They can't afford to eat every day. And when they do eat, they eat scraps to us, stuff that we wouldn't even touch. Some boiled cornmeal and some pumpkin leaves. And you think we're not filthy rich. We are. But when it comes to gladness, 
are some of the biggest whiners, complainers, and moaners. We fuss because we don't have this. We fuss because we don't have that. And somebody gives us something, and it's amazing in any place in the world but the U.S., and we're like, eh. Couldn't you have got me something nicer? Is anybody here today? He's going to increase their gladness and it's going to have nothing to do with the junk we seek so often. He says, their gladness is going to be such as the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. God's going to give them such such joy that when they actually have a harvest, so they can actually eat, they rejoice. Because a bad harvest means you die. Good harvest means you live. Hallelujah for the harvest. And when you rejoice over the spoils, it means you've been victorious in battle. They're going to rejoice. This light This gladness that God's coming is going to supersede all their darkness, all their hurts, all their pains. It's going to be joy. It's going to be unbridled joy. It's going to be thanksgiving. It's going to be a reason to worship. It's going to be better than anything that this sad, financially focused country and people we live among has ever known. Now let me ask you something, you Christians. Do you have joy in the gladness that God has given us? Or does the only time joy comes to your heart is the only time when you get what you want, get your way? Listen, I know Christmas time is supposed to be all warm and fuzzy. I might be a little fuzzy. I don't know about being warm all the time. Because Jesus didn't come to play. He came to be our hope. He came to be our light. He came to be our gladness because we need him. We need him, and anything less will not ever satisfy. Well, then he goes on. He begins to describe how he's going to be this hope. Verse 4, he says, For you shall break the yoke of their burden, the staff of their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior and the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel, for burning fuel for the fire. And the gladness is going to come when God comes and he breaks the yoke off, their burden off their shoulders and the staff on their shoulders. Man, they have been weighed down. They have been oppressed. They have been overcome. They have been conquered. They've been broken. They're heavily carrying this weight around among them. And the Bible says that when God comes, he's going to break that yoke off their shoulders and the staff of the rod off their shoulders. He's going to give them relief from their burdens. He's actually going to give them relief. And it's going to come. Oh, that's right. I'm going to get ahead of myself. He's just going to do it. I'll tell you how in a minute. And he says, he's going to break the rod of their oppressor. Is that the battle of Midian? And I love that. The rod of their oppressor would simply be the guy that has oppressed them and beating them with the rod. But he's going to do it like he did at the battle of Midian through a guy named Gideon. Gideon had like 30,000 soldiers available. I forget the exact number. But God's like, that's too many to win the battle. So he says, tell everybody that's afraid to go home and like 20,000 plus left. (laughs) That's bad. Then God says, you know what, 10,000. That's too many. So have them all go down to the bank and see how they 
drink water. If they stick their face in it, if they lick it up with their hand, take the ones that lick it up with their hand. There's 300 left. That's, that's probably less than we have here today. So then go to battle against Midia and the Bible says their camels are like the sand, the sand of the seashore. Not the men, the camels. In other words, God says, I'm gonna do something to deliver you in the most unexpected way, in a way that no one would ever believe. No one believed that 300 men could take on the Midian army, and yet God drove them out and conquered them. So these 300 men that he sent with Gideon, and God says, I'm gonna do it like that. I'm gonna send the least expected thing to deliver you to give you hope. And then he says, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for fire. When I bring a deliverance, it's not gonna, you aren't gonna need to go to battle anymore because the battle will be won. And all the boots that the guys wore in the battle and all the cloaks that they wore that got stained with blood, we're gonna burn them all up because they won't be needed anymore. No battle anymore. The battle will be finished. It's incredible we begin to think about what God's gonna do for broken, sinful people who of no accord of their own began to receive the grace of God, the grace and mercy of God. This is all about God. This is not one thing to do with the people repenting and getting it right. This is all about God. And he goes on further to explain how how he's gonna bring hope, and he says, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. He stopped right there. This salvation is going to come when the child comes. The child, a child will be born speaking of a baby actually being born into this world and a son will be given, making reference to God giving his son, Jesus Christ. When he comes, he's gonna do everything necessary to bring gladness, to bring light, to bring deliverance, to give us victory, to give us hope. And it says, for the government will rest on his shoulders. Man, I love this. The government will rest on his shoulders. Now, he's not just talking about like the government of the United States of America. He's talking about the governing of all the nations of earth, of all the issues of earth. The government will rest on his shoulders. The planning out, the purpose, the leadership, the timing, the rising up, the bringing down, the fixing, the end, the government will rest on his shoulders. In other words, this baby that's going to come is gonna be the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's gonna reign and rule over the United States. He's gonna reign and rule over Congo. He's gonna reign and rule over every country in between and around. His government is gonna be on his shoulders. He's gonna be responsible for it all. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty powerful to me because you know me. If you've heard me before, you know me. I I get sick to death of people talking politics to me. Oh, when this president gets in the office, we'll have all the answers we need. What nonsense. Oh, if this guy wasn't in office, we'd be better off. Guys, that's garbage. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this child who's been given, this baby who has been born, you believe in the one who reigns and rules over every nation, over every situation, and who will in the end conquer for those who trust him. The government will be on his shoulders. You want hope today? Don't put your hope in a president. I'm not telling you shouldn't vote. I always hear that. Well, pastor, that means we just shouldn't vote. Stop it. But would you please vote with insight and righteousness based on Christ and not personal desires 
and arrogance. Would you please stop the nonsense that someone governs higher than the Savior? The government will rest upon his shoulders, and why? Why will the government rest upon his shoulders? Because his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That means either he is a wonder of a counselor, or he gives wonderful counsel, and honestly, it means both, and the word wonderful means supernatural. In other words, what he's saying here is, man, he's going to come, and he's going to govern, and he's going to govern with supernatural wisdom and ability. Now, wouldn't that be awesome if our presidents actually sought the living God for his supernatural counsel and instead of being all this biased nonsense and arrogance, actually led our country in righteousness and back to Christ? Wouldn't that be amazing? The counsel we would have, the blessings we would have, but quite honestly, the president's never going to do that till our selfish people stop voting simply because you're selfish and proud. By the way, I didn't write that in my sermon. That's just a little extra for you. Thank you. Fire me up. What ridiculous stuff we stand on and believe in. But the hope is in Christ, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Why does he have such good counsel? Because the child that would be born, the son that would be given, is mighty God himself. Last week we talked, chapter 7, verse 14, talks about he'll be called Emmanuel, God with us. This mighty God, it speaks of him being a warrior, He's victorious. He's going to be the one that reigns. He's going to be the one that rules. He has such great counsel. He's God himself, and all the power is his, and he's going to be victorious. Why would the government rest on his shoulders? Because he's the only one, he's the only one qualified to govern this world. So it goes on, because he, There's a couple more incredible names here. He's eternal father. You talk about personal. I mean, I want you to hear eternal father. Man, to be a father has always been a big deal to me. Right? My children are a big deal to me. My grandchildren are a big deal to me. I don't know why they wouldn't be. I was there when they were born. With our last one, I was at the courthouse when they, they changed their name. She bears our name. My responsibility is to love them. Man, I've fallen short in so many ways. But I've always loved them. When they were little, couldn't hold them enough. When they were hurting, I wanted to help them, minister to them, and make them stop crying. When they were teenagers, I wanted to help them and give them wisdom, or thump them and give them wisdom, whichever was necessary. But you think about the eternal father, the eternal father, the one who was coming would be the perfect father. He knows us, knows the hairs of our head, knows the days that we will live, the appointed day of our death. He knows the words we'll speak before we speak them. He knows us. He so deeply cares for us. And you... You want to put your hope in somebody? Want to put your hope in the one that's going to reign, that's going to treat you like a son or a daughter, 
According to John chapter 1, all who receive him, he will give them the right to become children of God. This child, he's no ordinary child. This son, no ordinary son. This is the one who sent to reign, to rule, to love, to protect, to deliver. Amen, man. We're not talking about worshiping another person. We're talking about worshiping the birth of the Lord God Almighty who came to be our eternal father and is and will love us unconditionally. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Peace has so many different connotations. And on a personal level, it means contentment. means to have lived a life pleasing to the Lord and be satisfied with what God has given us. Peace. It means well-being, freedom from anxiety and rest, peace. In relationships, it means having harmony between one person and another. And in relationship with God, it means having nothing, nothing that separates us from him. Nothing that keeps us from knowing him and loving him and being loved by him. Peace, Christ Jesus He's the Prince of Peace. He's the perfect one who had peace with the Father because he was with the Father, was God. Peace with men as he came to deliver us and save us. And he comes to bring peace. No wonder the angels sang in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Peace. And we, we wonder, where do we find hope in this broken, dark world? I want hope. My job's not stable. My relationship with my spouse is a struggle. My children... Man, they've made bad decisions and they've gone the wrong way. Our country's out of control. We've, we just wonder. Health issues come. Darkness, gloom, despair. It's not hard to see that, is it? But can I say it's not hard to see the glory of God and the goodness that he's given to us. It's not hard to see that either. All you got to do is look and open your heart to him because he's come. He's already done what we need. He's already done everything that's necessary for us to be delivered. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And this passage finishes with, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. No end. His government, his reign, his rule, his kingdom will never end. And the increase of his peace will never stop. Believer, if you don't have peace, have you ever asked yourself why? Because there is no end to his peace. It is available to you, but you have got to come to him. You've got to stop looking to someplace else and start looking to Jesus. And then it says, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore.
And man, if they had insight in that day, they should have said hallelujah because they've been putting up with the descendants of David for a long time. I mean, none of the kings before this king could reign in righteousness and justice. They all screwed it up. Even Solomon, whose name comes as a derivative of peace, even Solomon, the wisest one, ended up destroying the kingdom in his sin. But one is coming, and one has for us come, who's going to reign over the kingdom of David, his holy kingdom, the kingdom of God's children. He's going to reign in justice and in righteousness and establish it forevermore. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad his kingdom's not on earth? Aren't you glad it's an eternal kingdom? And he says, and the zeal of the Lord hosts will accomplish this. I love that. The zeal of the Lord hosts. The zeal can mean jealousy. But it's not specifically talking about jealousy here. It's, it's this, this desire that God has to make our problems his problem. To make our salvation his salvation. To make our deliverance his deliverance. That's what that means. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. His desire is to save sinners. His desire is to forgive sin. His desire is to give peace. His desire is to give hope. It's his cause. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will will accomplish this. It's not about us. God's plan in the midst of our sin, God's plan in the midst of our brokenness, God's plan in the midst of our inability to save ourselves was to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to rise again on the third day so that he could accomplish salvation and glory and peace and joy and hope. It's all about Christ. No wonder Luke 2, 6 through 11 says this. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Do not be afraid. What are you going through? I mean, honestly, some of you are here and you're lost. You're lost. You do not know God. You don't know him. Maybe you know about him, but you don't know him. He's not personal to you. He's not intimate to you. He doesn't live in your hearts. He doesn't speak to you. You're trying to scratch your way through this world. You're getting beaten down at every turn. Why not look to Christ and be unafraid? He came to save. He came to reign. He came to give hope. But you've got to put your faith in Jesus. He died on that cross and rose again. And you've got to give him control of your life. It's so sweet. It's so blessed to give your life to Christ. Man, some of you are here and you're Christians. But there's no peace in your life. There's no hope in your life. You're afraid of every single thing. And you say to me, well, pastor, there's reasons for me to be afraid. I've been betrayed. The things in my life are weighing me down. I need some literal answers, pastor. And if I can't find literal answers, I won't find hope or peace in my life. And what you're telling me is is that Jesus is not enough for you. But it's not true. It's not true. It's just not true. There might have been a day when Bob would have said, Jesus isn't enough for me. But there he was, walking him through.
Are you going to put your faith in Christ? Are we at this Christmas time going to realize the gift that God has given us that's just as available to us today as it was 2,000 years ago that he came to be the one to shed light into our dark lives and to increase our gladness in his presence? Are we going to be the ones that live like he's so alive that we shine the light of Christ through us into this dark world because we trust him and believe in him? Are we going to keep playing that foolish, arrogant game that says we don't need anybody but us and keep dying inside? Man, 720 years ago, God said, the way I'm going to change this thing is a child will be born for us, a son will be given. And then he sent him. And now he's alive. How about we turn to him this Christmas? Maybe even consider taking some time out of all this other busyness that you've got going on and actually drawing near to him, surrendering to him. How about we do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It's so powerful and good. But Father, it points us to Jesus which is where all the power comes from. The power to save. And I pray you'd save the lost here this morning, that they'd believe and today receive eternal life. The power to get us through the most difficult trials, loss of loved ones, sickness, divorce, depression, hopelessness, Need, anger, bitterness, fear. There's only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us with a love that cannot be compared. It can't be contained. It's never ending for those who trust you, Lord. Please, Lord God, Give us grace to look to you and trust you today. Humble us today. Let us believe. And then, Lord, fill us with gladness and praise and thanksgiving for who you are from now on and forevermore. Lord, have your way as we respond to you today. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.